I begin today with a feel-good story of the week. Or not. Evidently, it depends on your perspective. I introduce you to a little talked-about doctrine of salvation, and then I talk to you about trees. Trees in Colorado, and then trees in Switzerland. And ultimately, we finish up where we started in a gymnasium, all on the way to answering the question, how much togetherness do we need? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. I was reading the news about a week ago, and I came upon a story that I found absolutely captivating. It seems that there's a senior at the local high school in Mossonee, Wisconsin, and her name is Melina, and she has, for all four years, played on the volleyball team. It's been a wonderful experience that she's absolutely loved, and she has the full support of her family as she's been on this team. The only disappointing thing for her and her brother, Peyton, is that he's not ever been able to see her play volleyball. You see, Peyton is autistic, which in his case means he really struggles with loud noises. And by struggles with, I mean he really can't tolerate them at all. So as I said, he's never seen her play because a high school gym filled with cheering people is far more than he could tolerate. But one day this year, Molina's senior year, everyone in the gym, the visitors, the home team, all of the fans, agreed to watch and participate in the game in silence, so Peyton could come watch his sister play. Now, even with a gym filled with silent people, a game is not silent. There's sneaker noise on the floor and whistles being blown by the referee, but still, the overall experience was one of remarkable quiet. Peyton didn't stay for the whole game. I think the article said he stayed for the first 11 points, and when, after the 11th point, he left, the entire gym, home team, visitors, all spectators erupted in cheering and applause. Not because he left, but because they had all participated in something truly special. Now, when I first heard about this game, I read the article and then I looked at the comments below and I was surprised that some people didn't see this as a wonderful moment of collective triumph. Some people responded by saying, how stupid it was for everyone to be inconvenienced for the sake of this one person. Isn't it interesting how the very same story can be seen so differently? Some of us can look at this story and say that when they banded together for this common moment, it wasn't just Peyton and his family that won. It was absolutely every person who got to be part of this remarkable moment. All who participated found their own existence to have been elevated by the experience. But interestingly, others saw this story as a total waste. Life is an individual experience, and there's no reason to inconvenience the group for the needs of just this one person. Today, I want to introduce you to a theological term, and the term is collective salvation. Collective salvation is the idea that salvation is offered to the group rather than an individual. Now, you might think to yourself, yes, that's exactly what I believe. I believe that salvation is offered to everybody, not just particular individuals. But that particular doctrine that salvation is offered to everyone 
is called universalism, meaning God's salvation is universal and offered to absolutely everyone. Collective salvation is a little different. It's the idea that God offers potential salvation to the group, and the entire group either sinks or swims as a group. Now, if you read the Old Testament, there's a strong element of this. God has chosen a group, the Israelites, and they will earn their place in God's kingdom collectively or not. Yes, there are people who are individually faithful, but there's a lot of scripture that is really focused on whether the Israelites as a whole are living up to who they're called to be. That's the idea behind collective salvation. Now, I want to talk about this way of thinking, not because I think it is the one true way to understand salvation, but to say that possibly there's some helpful truth within it. You see, if Judaism was driven by the idea of collective salvation, we are going to sink or swim as a community. It's certainly easy to see that the idea of collective salvation has largely been dropped from Christianity. So why does this matter? Well, within Christianity, there are, as far as I can see, kind of two prevailing doctrines of salvation, at least in the churches where I have served. One is the world of individual salvation. Each of us is on our own. We will sink or swim by our own merits, our own deeds, and the fate of those around us is really not terribly important. Interestingly, the other doctrine I see is universalism that we've talked about. And in the world of universalism, everyone gets in, period. And strangely, this theological option also allows for each of us to not really worry, if we don't want to, about our relationship with each other because, well, everybody's getting in no matter what. But in the world of collective salvation, we are connected. What happens to the rest of the group really matters. Now, I am aware that there is a potential problem with this form of understanding salvation in that it normally is talking about the group as a smaller subset of humanity, not everyone. But let's for a moment imagine it in its larger potential scope as seeing all of us as tied together. Let me be clear, I'm not saying this way of understanding salvation is true, is the one right way of thinking, but I am asking, what would it be like if we lived as if it were true? There's a saying that circulates around on the internet frequently, perhaps you've seen it. It advises that we should sing like no one is listening, love like you've never been hurt, and dance like nobody's watching. Now, the point is not that you've never been hurt and that nobody is listening or nobody's watching. The point is that you should live as if those things are true. And I'm not really interested in arguing that our salvation is collectively tied together. What I'm interested in suggesting is that we should probably approach life as if it is. I mean, shouldn't we approach life as if we are connected with one another rather than in competition with each other? But wait, that's just the way it works. Jesus may want us to get along, but remember, Darwin, we live in a natural world in which every individual is for themselves. Every organism ultimately survives or perishes by its own actions. Except, is it really that simple? Is it always that way? Is that really the way the natural world is and there's no other option? Now, we could talk about the reality that a large stand of aspen trees are not really individual trees, but instead they all grow from a common root system. Really, they're just a single plant. 
but life gets so much more interesting than that. But let's stick with trees. We know that same species trees will often fuse their roots under the soil and share information as well as nutrients with each other. But a study done at a university in Switzerland has shown that trees of different species can do the very same thing. Evidently, there's a fungi that allows this to happen. So let's say in an environment, some trees wind up by some fluke having an abundance of carbon dioxide they can pull from the environment, while other trees nearby, for some environmental reason, do not have the amount of carbon dioxide that they need. Those with more will share that abundance through their roots, through this fungi, with trees that don't have enough. And the interesting thing is this, that research hasn't really shown that this is a sacrifice on the part of the trees that are giving up some. The reality is, is that when this takes place, the entire ecosystem becomes more sustainable place for all trees. Even the trees with abundance become stronger when they participate. Look, I don't have to tell you that there is a type of world understanding, even a type of theology within Christianity that says everyone's for themselves. And as you can tell, I'm not talking about that. Then there is the idea of noblesse oblige. Those who have resources have a responsibility to give to those who don't. And I want to be clear, I'm not talking about that either. I'm talking about something different, something I think we don't think of very often a worldview where neither of those two that I've just talked about are correct. Let's go back to the volleyball game. This wasn't a story about a neurotypical group of people allowing the kid with autism to have a moment. If that were true, the place would not have erupted in joyous applause when he left. This was a moment in which the community banded together for the need of a small group, Peyton and his family, but the community itself as a whole was the real winner in this moment. Perhaps the question often asked by theology is the wrong question. The question is not how do we achieve heaven, achieve salvation for ourselves. The better question is how do we make God's kingdom, how do we make heaven a reality right here, right now, within the community in which we live. That's all for today. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you get notified of future episodes. Also, you can find me on Facebook and YouTube. Just search for SkyPilot FaithQuest. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, my email address is dan at skypilot, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T dot zone, dan at skypilot dot zone. And as always, I would love to hear from you. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, Seek answers and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to Sky Pilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions. <laughs>